0: Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angelus Pezzito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. Welcome to another episode of Whisking It All. We are here today with Jonah Bliss from Curbivore. Jonah, thank you for being here with us today. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to learn about Curbivore. So, I mean, maybe a good place to start would be, can you share the story just behind founding Kerbivore and the significance of the name?
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, everyone asks about the name. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker <laughs> for a good pun. It's, it's I mean, my, my best skill, but, um, you know, kind of rolling <laughs> back, um, you know, my background's originally in kind of like the transportation mobility side of things. I've uh, been a startup guy, you know, founded some some companies that sort of doing different things to get people out of single occupancy cars, right? Whether it's uh, car share or e-bikes, whatever it is, just, you know, better than the status quo. Um, and so, you know, from that kind of background, um, when the pandemic hit sort of just saw this like huge inflection point around the curb. Right. Um, and so that meant changes to how we move about, changes to how things moved about whether that was food or e-commerce or, yeah, kind of quick delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also obviously sort of changes to patterns in the cities. People weren't downtown anymore. And so it's also created this sort of tremendous inflection point on the curb, whether it was outdoor dining or right. you know someone picking up or dropping off your DoorDash order uh, or just someone getting off of a scooter, getting out of an Uber, whatever it was. Um, just like a tremendous opportunity, but also a tremendous amount of confusion as it was all just kind of like a right. pandemic. Figure it out, see what happens. Businesses were struggling, cities were struggling, and so... Um, you know, had some friends that also kind of, you know, either knew restaurant tech or new delivery tech, Yeah, you know, we all kind of just got together, did the first Curbivore purely as a, uh, online conference, you know, 2020, the, the dark days of the pandemic. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, once, once the world got back, you know, to a healthier place where we could actually meet in person, um, decided to kind of take the conference to the real world, so to speak. And so we did a in-person Curbivore in 2022 that was a you know sort of a lot of fun good success interesting speakers did it again uh, this past march curve 2023 and you know as long as people keep coming and enjoying the conversation and sort of helping come up with solutions for this problem that everyone's collectively dealing with we're going to keep doing it so uh you know curve War 2024 next march
0: next march okay you heard it here and for people who want to you know we'll probably do a shout out at the end but since we're on topic Uh, where can they see uh, details on the conference?
1: Uh, Curbivore.co would be the address.
0: Okay, there you go. Curbivore.co. Okay, and then just to dive in, right? I find with entrepreneurs, it's always, not always, but a big chunk of the times, it's, you know, things start from, you know, a problem they've identified and then it turns into an opportunity. So I'd love to maybe dive a little deeper. What was the problem kind of you were seeing? And was it during, was it the pandemic time that kind of, where you got that inspiration, or did you have this idea before? I'd love to hear like the origin yeah. story of like what what made it click.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always, you know, I think both on a personal level and on a career level, I've always sort of cared about, you know, the movement of goods and people, right? So, mm. you know, you know, I think a lot of people on this You'll listens podcast are maybe coming at it from like the food side about the restaurant, Correct. you know, cuisine and culinary things, and and you know, I, I love a great meal. I'm, I'm a you know foodie for lack of a, a less played out term, but uh, to me, like the logistics of it all are the part that kind of keep me up at night Mm -hmm. thinking about that. So, you know, I think I'd always been sort of pondering about, you know, different questions in that space. Right. But the pandemic just created such a tumultuous moment where every assumption was up for grabs again. And so that's what really spurred Curbivore in terms of like, what if we get the city people and the restaurant people and the small business people and the grocers all in the same room? And come up with a better way that works for everyone. Because if you just are all competing for the same little slice of asphalt, everybody loses. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, we actually had the the CEO of Ritual on, and and it was funny because he was talking about how, at least at the time when they started Ritual, it's you know it's for those who don't know, it's a it's a pickup uh, app. So, uh, and he was saying like at that time, as long, as far as he knows, uh, they were like the first, I guess, pickup app that was kind of. For the you know people kind of thing, because before that he and he gave credit to Starbucks, which they were the only company really taking pickup seriously, where you can you know, go on the app, order ahead of time, or I guess maybe order ahead is a better word, but order ahead, pick up that kind of thing. Uh, and it was a significant amount; they were reporting on it on their kind of financials, and and so it's interesting to see how that like that has evolved. And then what I've personally seen, and you've all probably seen this too, is when when COVID happened, obviously everyone started doing a ton of online ordering and. That's right. To your point, I saw a lot of, you know, competing for that same slice because the POS companies were like, hey, we now do this, you can use it. And then there was like e-commerce type companies offering online ordering and there was online ordering standalones that were offering it. So you kind of had this, you know, just pool of different services and it, it probably did get a bit confusing. So I'd love to hear from you, like who are the types of people that, you know, should attend Curbivore? So is it... You know in my brain it's going like you know order ahead apps delivery apps maybe you know curbside pickup but yeah what you know maybe robotics but i'd love to hear like who are some key types of you know people yeah. that should or would attend I,
1: I think part of what makes the event so special is is the breadth of the people there right you, you go to mm. some conferences and it's it's fun you see all your friends but it's like okay i saw you at the last six trade shows right <laughs> um and so i think in that sense you know you hit on who comes but it's it's pretty broad so yeah we definitely have you know people from you know the third-party delivery marketplaces, you know, the, the Ubers, the DoorDashes, the Grubhubs of the World. Uh, we have, you know, the Instacarts, but we also have like the suppliers, whether that's a, you know, small mom and pop restaurant or a thousand chain grocer. We have okay. people from the uh, the serves, the cocos, the starships, you know, the delivery bots of the world. Uh,
0: okay. But then to me, I
1: think, you know, a missing part of the conversation often is like the policymakers, right? Like people mm. are actually crafting the rules about whether it's a fee cap on delivery or, you know, what you can do with the space out front of your restaurant. Um, so So we really pride ourselves on um, you know, DOTs, you know, public health. Uh one year we had the mayor of LA as a speaker. So really sort of getting, I think, the people that make the rules and can, you know, with the kind of signature of a pen, either make or break your business uh in the conversations, they can actually see, oh, like now that you've showed me what a good outdoor dining setup looks like, I can understand this is actually good for the neighborhood, or you know, getting folks from um the three PDs and you know, they're they're both love and hate relationship with restaurants in the same room and letting them kind of hash things out. So mm. I think, I think by kind of broadening the pie just makes for a more fruitful conversation.
0: It makes sense. And and you know, when you mentioned it, like a thought that came up, I actually grew up in Montreal. And in Montreal, we had, you know, I always say it's an awesome city in Beautiful the summer. City. <laughs> yeah. Outside summer. It's kind of hard, but in the summer, it's a really cool city, very student heavy, university heavy. And it's like, European influence, good restaurant scene, bar scene. So there's like a lot to do. You know, we have F1, Jazz Fest, you name it. So cool. But one of the things that a lot of restaurants pride themselves on, or not pride themselves, but, you know, really make their year because the summer months are busy with tourism is outdoor patios or terraces, as they say there. But outdoor patios, and to your point, you made me think of it. It makes a ton of sense. You don't think of it, but these policymakers can make or break your business when you can't get that license or for whatever reason, you're renewing it and they're not letting you. There's a lot of people because, especially in a place like Montreal, where summer's short or take any city where, you know, they have harsh winters and, you know, hot summers, that patio season is a key key part. So I'd love to maybe touch on that a little more. So like, what do you see like across, I guess, across North America, I would assume mainly in the, in the States, like, what do you guys see when it comes to policymakers, like how, how deep does it go on? How hard is it to navigate these kind of, you know, I guess, regulations? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, so each each subsets its own little world, right? So if we're talking about outdoor dining, um, yeah, that was, I think, where the most kind of change happened, right? Like most cities, sadly, were super strict pre-pandemic. Uh, yeah, Just sort of, you know, couldn't imagine, like, how could you use this parking lot or the sidewalk or anything besides just movement? Um, yeah. But so then, you know, kind of born out of the emergency, right? There's all of a sudden this really liberalization of rules where it's just sort of like, all right, like, you know, it's your space, figure it out, you know, do what you want with it. Um, mm. And so, yeah, you know, that kept a lot of great businesses running. They wouldn't have made it otherwise. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, sort of naturally as the emergency kind of drew down, um, you know, different cities either tried to, you know, regulate the new order or go back to the old order. And there's really this sort of bifurcation in terms of like, mm. you know w- which of the worlds are we sticking with, right? Um, and so, you mm. know, some cities if you go walk around now, it is basically no more outdoor dining, which is a tragedy. Like I, I know in like Dallas, I think there's like some shocking statistic, there's only like 10 restaurants that use it at this point. Um,
0: really?
1: Other cities, um, you know, they've sort of tried to tighten the rules up a little bit and there was sort of a pushback from the community. So here in LA, for example, uh, they tried to kind of not go back as far as it was, you know, in 2019, but like definitely tighten the rules a little bit and mm. the community sort of, you know, pushed back and pushed the city back, listened. Yeah. And so then they kind of recrafted the rules in a way that was, I think, a healthier balance. Um, You know, we we definitely see a struggle in cold weather cities. So I I know New York has sort of crafted some rules that are meant to be pretty open in the summer, but requires people to break them all down every winter. And so it's gonna be a problem if you have to like set up a nice thing every year. Um, Toronto, I think a little just this week kind of rolled out new rules uh, that were kind of keeping things pretty open for business. Um, so it's really covered the spectrum, right? And, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I certainly like dining outdoors. So it's hard to imagine what the complaint is, but, uh, yeah, right. There's always a critic somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's always someone that, uh, (laughs) there's always a, a negative person for sure. And I'd love to hear kind of your story of, you know, the first event, right? So, um, I'm always fascinated talking to entrepreneurs, founders, understanding, like, you know, taking that risk, that leap of faith, trying to build something out of nothing. So the first event you had, right? Like obviously now you're gaining momentum, second year, third year, you know, going, yeah. going on to fourth yeah. year, right? So there's that network effect, but how, how'd you kind of go about organizing this year one? Year yeah. one, I'd love to hear like, yeah. how'd you go about like, hey, we're going to launch this event. How are we going to invite people? How are we going to convince them to come? You know, like I'd love to just hear a bit about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, this this sounds macabre, but in a way, the pandemic was helpful, right? So the first event was fully virtual, two-day online event. Okay. Um, okay. And so, you know, I had some experience as a marketer sort of putting on other events, and, and you know, we all became Zoom experts for that yes, year, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I think, you know, between, you know, kind of knowing enough of the nuts and bolts and having some experience, and knowing other people kind of within the world of dining and delivery and gig work that I can kind of, like, just convince them of my crazy idea that they would sort of help out and you know also invite their networks um, so we did the first one purely as like a an act of you know kind of passion we, we didn't charge anyone for anything um and then it also just helped that like everyone was at home bored too right you could like invite right. the prime minister of japan and he'd be like oh like i'm not doing anything that day I'll, yeah yeah, I'll
0: yeah
1: yeah um so i think that really just sort of legitimized us legitimized us and let us grow a lot faster than we could have otherwise right uh, and, you know, even though we didn't make any money, we also didn't spend very much money, you know, paid right. paid for some webinar licenses, did some branding, right. yada, yada, yada. But right, right. Um, it made us, allowed us to create a brand that, you know, once it was said and done, I would talk to people and be like, oh, you know, I was really sorry that I missed Curbivore, you know, last month, but you know, I went a couple years ago and it was great. And it's like, I, I love that you can create That's a cool. brand that people feel like has been around for decades um, cool. just by, you know, the power of, of good branding and picking the right topic and, you know, knowing just enough to sound smart.
0: Right. It's funny when you're talking about, like, people being bored at home. I just had a flashback. I'm blanking out right now. What's, what was that mobile? I mean, it's still popular now, but it really popped off uh, audio only. Oh, oh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse, yeah. I remember, like, at one point, it just, like, exploded because it was just like, yep, I got another man. It was, it was a really cool cause of it. It's interesting where it's at now, but it just made me think of that. It's true. It was an interesting time where people, I think were really bored on one hand. I mean, really tough, but really bored. Um, but it's, how do you find it's kind of switching now? Do you find people like now still appreciate, I mean, virtual events or do you, do you see the shift like people are ready, they're excited to be in person? Like, how, how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, Um I, I would say, you know, 95% of us are, are, you know, happy to be in person. You know, I mm. suppose 5% of people are still playing. What was that game where you were like the little spaceman navigating the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, so we still do some occasional um, webinars and, and online events, right? And so those, it's definitely tougher to to pack a house these days than it was, you know, even a year ago. Uh, And you have to really have a good topic and good people. And even then it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to engage with someone when they can just be outside in the sun. Um, but yeah, we've also moved to, you know, we, we have a bunch of newsletters that come out. People still love reading the newsletters. So you just have to meet the audience where they are. Um, And then I think that's, what's so fun about putting on a physical event is, um, especially in an age of remote work, right? Like people might be. You know not stuck at home but they're not doing the same things they were doing in 2019 so if you put on an interesting True. event True. they get to meet people that they want to see some companies even sort of treat these as kind of retreats right where you you call people out mm. from every office every every work from home situation say hey we're all going to event x you know next quarter right you know, you not only will you get to do a cool conference we get to meet your coworkers, do a little retreat maybe we'll like book a conference room and figure that out some sense, goals yeah. for the next year so um you know, it's, it's a different world. And if you kind of lean into
0: it, I think you can get a lot out of it. That's interesting. And I'd love to hear how did you go from, you know, so we just touched on, let's say that first year virtual event, but what are maybe some challenges that you faced when you went from virtual to in-person that, that kind of first year transition? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the
1: stakes are a lot higher, right? You know, if, if a virtual event is bad, you just sort of tune out. Uh, right, if a physical sure. event is bad, you know, you don't want to have a fire fest on your hands. <laughs> um, and, you know, it helped that we weren't doing this in a remote island, right? Um, right, right. But, you know, it's I'd say events are very much one of those examples where you're kind of building the, the airplane as you fly it, right? Because you're sort of... You know, you don't exactly know, especially when it's new, how many people are going to attend, how many sponsors are going to have, how many... Mm. So then it's like, how much food do I need? How many bathrooms do I need? How many stages do I need? How many chairs do I need? So you're just kind of always, you know, moving these things in sync. Mm. And, you know, one goes up a little bit, the other ones have to go up in kind. Um, right. And so, you know, the final month is just a lot of sleepless nights as you're just kind of pushing the ball up the hill. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's like anything else, right? Like the person putting on has like the the kind of darkest view of it right you see everything that's going wrong but the person in the audience is like this is great like wow yeah um so you just have to keep that kind of perspective that like okay no one else notices that like the banner is crooked and
0: just you know get on right 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 you're usually your your hardest critic I think is 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 a lesson there and it's funny you mentioned that analogy about the plane because like that's I think that's something that all founders in some way or form talk about like jumping off the mountain while you're figuring out how to open your parachute, you know, type of thing. So it's just it's it's taking the risk. And the only way you're going to learn, you know, there's only only so much theory you can learn, of course, preparing makes sense. But like once you hit the ground, then you're like, oh, shit. And so I'm sure you learned (laughs) a lot of stuff that first year that you were then able to kind of adapt. And maybe for people who are thinking about, you know, interested in how to build, you know, community or events, like what are some things you can share, like from a perspective, especially that first year or I guess second year, because it was in person, like you know, there's kind of like that marketplace aspect of like, I need sponsors, but I need people, but I, you know, people will come with their speakers. but the speakers are interested if there's more people and, you know, like yeah, yeah. How, how, how do you egg. go about like, yeah, chicken, egg, how, how do you go about like balancing that? And just, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Cause you're obviously doing a good job at it and it's, it's not easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish there was like a, a silver bullet that I had <laughs> cracked the code on. Right. Um, I think the truth is like, you have to pick a topic that you're really genuinely passionate about and, and you know you know a lot about and you know people in the space and so you can hmm. kind of call upon your own local network as the kind of like base layer right and then you can build from there so if right. I was to just sort of pick a topic that I didn't know anything about you know not only would it be tough to actually like make an interesting program but you know I, I would be struggling to get person one in the door and so then you know you're starting at such a lower baseline right um, and the truth is like no one's going to care as much as you do right so like you, even if you hire someone that's an expert uh, to them it's just a job so I, I think especially in the first couple of years it really just comes down to kind of gritting your teeth you know I'm not trying to make this like a, like a hustle and grind kind of like a, no but you're right you know motif but yeah. Uh, yeah like you got to be willing to work harder than the other people because it's it's your baby and um, you know you got to call in favors and uh, you know just bang all the you know drums and pots and pans right. to make as much noise as you can um, right. You know, I, I think really leaning into content as a way to not only um, sort of show domain expertise, but build an audience that you can then call on to say, "Oh, I really like you know hearing you write about so and so. Maybe I'll come see you speak, or maybe I'll see who you've invited to speak."
0: That's um, awesome.
1: So, yeah, it's it's like you build your own little universe, and you you slowly expand it.
0: That makes sense, and like. I'd love to touch quickly on on content just because it's it's a theme that's come up a few times we had sean Walshef on the show he was a super cool guy talking about content and at whisk we've been kind of going a bit harder on content and doing this podcast and and amongst other social media stuff and you know i think people will hopefully are getting more inspired and trying to you know i love the quote i think he says something like don't don't be the commercial be the show which which i love that concept and most people are trying to figure out how to make this beautiful app but it's like just this is the content like film what you're doing and, yeah. and share it and tell your story. So I'd love to just hear about you on, on your end. Like, how do you think about content and what are some kind of things you've done to, you know, build up content on your side?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, without getting too uh, tangential, I've always had a, a, a funny relationship with, with content for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. You know, earlier on in my career, I, I was sort of uh, worked for like a, a news site. I wouldn't quite call myself a journalist, but may, maybe a blogger when that was still okay. a term. A writer, yeah. Um, yeah. I I also ran the marketing for a content marketing platform, which was very meta job, but so I I know my way around uh, content. Um, Got it. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it felt like content marketing was like a hot word, you know, eight years ago or something, and then it kind of just got lost among everything else, and and it just sort of became marketing again, right? In a way, it wasn't anything new. It's just like people have been producing stuff forever, and it just, uh, whether or not it feels organic or whether you have to shove it down the consumer's throat. and so yeah there's so much bad content out there right just dull boring uninteresting derivative um and that's true of you know ads It's true of content marketing it's true of you know actual pure writing um so like i don't want anyone out there to just like start a sub stack because everyone else has a sub stack right like You'll you'll drive yourself insane. You'll have ten readers and they'll hate it too. <laughs> so like, only do it if it's if it's pure and like you have something different to say and you feel like yeah. you need to say it. Um, yeah. Because there are millions of other channels you can do. Um, yeah. And at this point, you know you're competing with a, a chat bot that can also churn out bad content.
0: That's very true. No, it's it, you're absolutely right. Like you need you need to be passionate or at least you know have a pretty big interest in what you're doing because if not it gets number one it's hard but number two it's like you're not going to be inspired to just spit out random content right like there's you know you'll see trends of like ah faceless build a youtube faceless channel and make you know a hundred thousand a month like you know there'll be a lot of that type of stuff but it's just like so easy (laughs) yeah exactly so easy so really i think the lesson's like you gotta speak about a topic either that you're super interested in kind of show what you're learning as you're going or a topic that you're potentially an expert or somewhat of a vet veteran in and and, you know, kind of sharing. So for us at Whisk, it was like, okay, we're obviously pretty good on the restaurant side, specifically on, you know, the cost of goods sold, like that's our expertise. But yeah. outside of that, we're like, hey, we have a big restaurant audience, like let's bring people in the realm, whether it's restaurant tech, restaurant operations, just restaurant marketing. Um, and so it's kind of like expanded. And and, and I guess, speaking of tech, like one, one thing I'd love to know from you is, um, can you share, because we had, um, um, a guy from, well, a guy, the CEO of Tiny Mile, super cool robotics company. Uh, and I, it's, it was cool because I live in Miami now and I saw them downtown or in Brickle and I was like, oh, these are neat. And then anyways, we got introduced, long story short, had him on the show. Super interesting concept and I'm sure there's other people doing it. But yeah. all this to say, that was a very long way of just saying, I'd love to hear what is some interesting tech you've seen, specifically maybe people kind of attending, you know, your, your event. Like, have yeah. you, can you share any interesting tech that just kind of, yeah, stands yeah.
1: out? Yeah, uh, but also, yeah, shout out. Uh, I love Tiny Mile. I love, um, yeah, I feel like of, of all the founders, he's got like a, an amazing humility, right? A sort of founding yeah, story about, yeah. the, about Uber uh, ATGs, uh, you know, yeah. a reminder that there's real world consequences. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think we were kind of uh, early on the, um, you yeah, the PDD, the self-driving robot um trend um and so you know the first year we we had some virtually and then every year since we've had you know this cute little armada of different color robots kind of (laughs) running around the grounds which is fun and they kind of interact with each other and it's all it's all friendly you know the the whole industry kind of is in a grow the pie phase right now. So it's not like we're having a serve robot and a cocoa robot bashing. Right, 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 right. Although that would be good content, guys. Uh, yeah. Well, there was <laughs> that show. What was that show? Robot Wars or ba- something? Do you remember that? Battle yes. Bouts. Yeah, yeah.
0: Something yeah, yeah. Like
1: Let's just tape a, a buzzsaw to the uh, Starship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star Trek. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there's always really fun technology, right? Like, so this last March, we had, um, there was a, a robotic pizza truck where it's sort of all you know made automatically inside the truck. Oh, uh, wow. That okay. was fun. Um, we have you know, kind of self-driving cars, yeah, you know, both from the passenger, but also some of them are thinking about delivery. Um, we just had this guy sort of, I remember him, he, I think he just bought a regular ticket, but he's just like, he had this kind of cool robotic arm that he had built uh, that he was just carrying around. So, you know, we attract <laughs> the, the most lovable nerds. I love um, it. But I think, you know, there's always this question about, you know, who does technology serve, right? And yeah. uh i think uh, it's true in any industry but you know especially in, in food we've seen a lot of startups come and go where they have like a, a great idea and it's like wow like fascinating that you can do that but like do you need to like does anyone want that um and so you yeah, know, whether it's the yeah. the zooms of the world uh you know zoom with the u not, not with the two o's but um yeah you know we've seen a lot of money get kind of poured down the drain and then like okay you, you made a worse product <laughs> and it's <was>, like <laughs> technically interesting um, but yeah, you know, I think, I think we're also at this point seeing a lot of the big corporates, uh, get into it. Right. So whether it's sweet green or Chipotle mm. really investing in automated make lines, um, you know, I can kind of understand that the business case there, right. There's a tight labor market.
0: Yeah, um, if yeah, you're doing
1: sure, a, a yes. delivery order, you don't need to see the person, you know, mixing the grain and the, the lettuce together. So, um, I think we'll see it become kind of more, uh you know, complimentary, right? Where it's sort of humans working inside a machine that kind of makes things faster. Right. But um, beyond like the novelty factor, it's hard for me to imagine that we just need like a 100% robotic restaurant now where it's, you know, dozens <laughs> of six axis arms moving around. Like that's fun to get people right. in the door because they say, oh, it's like the Jetsons. But if the robot doesn't make the food, you know, better or way cheaper, you're not getting a repeat visit.
0: Right, that makes sense. And it's funny because you see, you see like, um... I think a a parallel, I think right now happening in just the, you know, call it non-restaurant world where like everyone's like, is (laughs) I going to take jobs or not take jobs? But it's like, at least right now we'll see what happens in the future. But it's, I think the best people are using it super complimentary. They're like, okay, how can I'm, I could still write, but how can I write better? They're not just making it write everything they're using it, you know, to their advantage. It's like trying to just leverage things you're doing, but just either be more productive or, or, you know, unlock some creativity. And I think seeing the same thing in the restaurant space where it's like, okay, there's a labor shortage. How can we use it complementary, not just like you know wipe wipe out you know any human aspect of yeah. it, right? Yeah. Which is, cool.
1: I, I like. I mean, one I like the yeah the world. There's, there's two worlds right. There. There's the restaurant world and the non restaurant world. Those the, the two yeah. domains. But no, I think you know people need to step back and you know restaurants they're a hospitality industry, right? Like people are going yeah. there to interact with people to have a conversation yeah. to sort of feel comfortable. Um, and so that isn't to say that there's you know different degrees, right? Like a fine dining restaurant is different than a McDonald's. Um, but at the same time, if we look at other domains, right? Like, you know, look at supermarkets and how Amazon struggled to even make their kind of just walk out thing, um, work at a large scale. So if, if, you know, Bezos and company are struggling, um, you know, it's not necessarily the easiest thing. It's not just plug it in and go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny grocery self checkouts. Uh, do you know, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco the comedian? Italian to me. Nah, he has a good skit on that, but just about like how they make you work, you know? I'm going there to buy a product and I'm also working. I'm checking myself out, yeah. which is like a funny funny uh I mean that's
1: that's the, you know, so much of um technology is, is labor arbitrage, right? We're moving things that used to be done on one side of the transaction to the other side, True. and you think like, "Oh, well, it's magical. Now now I'm scanning it myself." But it's like, you
0: know. You're your time's there. worth that's something funny. too. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I never thought of it like that. When you paint that picture, it's, it actually makes it more obvious. That's that's <laughs> awesome. Um, I guess next next question for you is really just what can people expect? You know, so we have a, a pretty big restaurant audience and, and we'll share this in our newsletter, too. So for people that are hearing this, Curbivore sounds quite interesting. The The event sounds like it's growing some interesting tech, some interesting policy makers, a, a bit of everything, uh, good good speakers what 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 do you say to the people of, the, of what they can expect for the upcoming you know Curbivore 2024
1: yeah yeah um appreciate the shout out and, and I'll I'll make sure that we get like a, a special promo code we can you know include with the video so people can sign up for a special yeah, price that, but um awesome. yeah i mean so i would say you know we build like a little curb city within the city right so it's it's in la it's in late march and so it's it's very indoor outdoor so i want it to feel like the best possible conversion of a parking lot you've seen, right? So you're kind of, hmm. you get to see what that looks like, but then you're also meeting fascinating people, whether it's, you know, execs from Uber and DoorDash, or you're meeting, you know, the people that are running the delivery robot companies. So you can actually ask them questions about how it integrates into your, um, processes. Uh, right. you know, we have folks from the POS world. We have folks from okay. every little segment of technology. Right. Um, and then, yeah, there's very cool, you know, kind of restaurant brands involved. You know, we had sweet fin last year, we had, wonder. Um, so, you know, I think it's a chance to kind of learn from some of your peers that are doing cool things and talk to them and adapt their trends for your own business and market. Um, and then again, you know, it's part of this larger conversation around the curb. So you can talk to, you know, the city official that you've always been trying to figure out like, Hey, like, what does this rule mean? Or you can talk to someone that's, you know, been putting scooters on your street and say, Oh, actually I get it now. Like that's foot traffic. That's actually a shopper that's hungry too. It's not just because it removed a parking spot. doesn't mean that I'm losing business. So it's like part of a broad conversation that I think if you're, if you're ready to kind of expand your, your worldview, it's really useful. You know, if it's, if you just want to go to a 10 seminars about how to, you know, increase sales 3%, this is not the event for that. But if you want to kind of have a broader (laughs) taste of the future, um, come to
0: Curbivore that's awesome and then I love that idea so we'll definitely for people listening by the time we release the episode we'll have some type of code and figure out how to share with you guys Uh, so for people that that want to attend at least there'll be a little, uh, little incentive um, or a little extra incentive. Uh, and then I'd love to hear, can you share any success stories that you've just seen or, or key takeaways from any of the, the previous events, right? So whether it's 2023 or, or even before, like any, I'm sure there's a ton of, you know, micro success stories, yeah. but anything yeah. that stands out to you of like something you want to share?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I would say like, you know, probably the best successes are the ones that I don't even hear about. Right. Cause it's like, mm. you know, a conference that you, you meet someone that you never would have bumped in before you start chatting you're like, Oh, you do X, I do Y. Like, you know, let's talk about it at drinks after the event. And so as much as I wish all those people like would email me and say, Hey, you will never believe what I've <laughs> Thank met. You for the, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there's all the silent success stories, but then in terms of things that get press, right, you know, we always have a good media presence. Um, so in, you know, Curbivore 2022, we saw uh, there was a kind of delivery robot company called Tortoise that they did a really interesting pivot to kind of mobile smart stores where the stores became or the robots became almost vending machines on wheels and they would service like a oh, line. Wow. So if you were like had a really popular restaurant and people were just waiting, you know, 20 people deep, you could roll this thing out and they could buy drinks or pastries. Uh, so that was a fun launch. The know. the machine kind of rolled down the aisle. Um and then this past March um, you know, we had um execs from Uber on stage and they made some big kind of product announcements. Oh, uh, wow. and so, you know, in a sense like if you're Uber, you can you can put the announcement out and it's going to get traction anywhere. But I think the fact that they decided to do it from our stage um, shows, you know, for, for lack of a better word, that there's interesting people in the mix. There's interesting press in the mix. Yeah, uh, there's deals to be done. And so, um,
0: yeah, anyone else out there, if you got something cool that you're planning to launch in Q1, do it at Curbivore. There you go. And if people want to reach out to you because I'm sure they maybe they want to learn more about you, what's the best way, you know, interested in attending or maybe sponsoring, maybe speaking. If they want to reach you, do they just go to the website and contact form, or what's the best way to kind of get? In touch yeah, yeah with you either or your either team? go
1: to the website, go, curbivore.co. Uh, you can read read the the weekly Substack that we put out uh, about tech trends, uh, which is thecurbivore.com, uh, or email me directly. Uh, you know, j o n a h b B at curbivore.co. You know, follow me on Twitter before Elon shuts it down. So there's lots of ways to find me.
0: If you have something to say, I will listen. So I love it. I love it. Okay. Awesome, man. And then, and any, just to maybe end off any advice you'd give to, you know, businesses right now when it comes to, um, adapting to the, the, the changing landscape, I guess, of even just, you know, urban, uh, urban commerce, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, small businesses in particular are like inherently, um, you know, conservative. And and I mean that in, in like a a lowercase C non political sense, but Hmm. just like you know, your margins are thin, your savings are low. This is like your passion project, make or break. And so, mm. you know, when you see that the city's like putting in a, you know, bike lane on the street, you're naturally like you're reactive, right? You're like, oh no, like this change, like maybe things are better, but if they're worse, I'm finished. Right. Mm. Um, and so that's the same about any other change, whether it's, you know, moving to delivery or uh, yeah using delivery robot or, you know, changing your parking lot to outdoor dining. And so. I totally understand that, you know, defensiveness, right? It's scary. It's, it's change. It's, it could be dangerous, but right. this has been happening for you know, years, decades now. And the data all points to these being broadly positive changes. And so if you're willing to just kind of like get over that hump, right? Like, you know, maybe if you have to do a little bit of work where you adapt something to this new audience, but, um, it's gonna make your life better. It's gonna make your neighborhood better. It's gonna make your business better. And so don't, don't fight the change,
0: embrace the change. Awesome. And then where 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 would you say you see? And, and I got to ask you this because you're you have a unique perspective because you you know you're being the founder of, of Curbivore and having access to all these different companies and speakers yeah. and et cetera et cetera. Um, where do you see the the future of I guess the the restaurant slash curb scene? You know, like where where do you see that going in? You know, the next three five years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how much time do we have? Yeah, <laughs> no, we got some time. We got yeah. some time. I'd love no, to hear. Uh, and if you're, yeah. if you're right, it'll make a good short in a few years. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Let's, let's put some money on this and, and revisit mm-hmm. in 2028. Um, yeah. no, I mean, um, gosh, you know, we're I, I think we're, we're living in a, a very bifurcated world and it's only getting more so, um, and that's true about all sorts of things. Right. But, um, I think, you know, in terms of restaurants, right. It's, if, if you were running a, a downtown, you know, lunch-oriented business, uh, I don't know if that business is ever coming back the way it was, you know, pre-pandemic mm. just because the foot traffic isn't there and it's not as consistent. And even if it is, like their own patterns have changed. Maybe they're, you know, they've like a new restaurant now, or they realize they can get delivery from somewhere not downtown. Um, so I think, you know, those kind of businesses and those sort of real estate owners and those sort of neighborhood councils and cities really need to think big about what you're doing Mm. with that space and we need to repurpose that and you know can we make more you know kind of outdoor gardens and patios and just like make it make downtowns a place you want to be for all sorts of reasons not just hope that like the nine to five lunch crowd comes back if you force them to um and then yeah i think also you know we saw a sort of continued suburbanization in in the country and so a lot of people moved to to the boonies um Mm -hmm. and so you know, we don't need to repeat the last 60 years of development patterns where it's just, you know, sort of wide highways and no sidewalks and chain stores, right? I think there's an opportunity to really create a sense of place in a lot of these uh areas. And so that's, again, like a conversation between city planners and small businesses about, like, how do we make new neighborhoods worth going to and worth walking around? And and yes, even if it doesn't mean everything is going to have, you know, transit and, you know, perfect bike lanes everywhere, we can at least make them, like, places you want to be and not just you know copy and paste
0: uh, a mcdonald's and a burger king you know from here to the highway right uh makes a ton of sense and, and i guess to wrap up what's one message maybe you'd want to share with you know future or even past attendees of Curbivore? what's something that you'd want to share a message you want to share with them um you know regarding just i guess your, your mission
1: yeah um great question yeah i, I think um I think the world keeps changing, right? So, so if you've been in the past, I think there's going to be something new for you this year. And obviously, I'm, I'm biased in saying that. But um, you know, even just in terms of like the technology that was booming, you know, I think um, you know, before 2022, we we had a super fast delivery company. Um, give one of the keynotes, Joker. Not not, not to single everyone out, but like you know, they raised billions of dollars, and the whole world was going you know, Gaga for 15 minute delivery of everything, right? Uh, and then the that world just basically crashed, right? Like it barely exists in the US. It's still kind of around in Europe, kind of around in Latin America. right? Um, But, um, you know, what was seemingly inevitable one day can be yesterday's news in in the blink of an Mm. eye. And so I just think, especially in a space like this, there's always something more to learn, someone new to meet. So, uh, you know, come and and bring something cool for us. And I think, uh, you know, that's what
0: the world needs. That's awesome. Well, Jonah, thank you for being here. Once again, everyone, we have Jonah Bliss from Curbivore.co. The Curbivore event happens every year, I believe, in March. This year it's coming up March 2024 in LA, right? Yes, Los Angeles, March 20th, 29th. See you there. Amazing. Thanks for being here on the Whisking All uh, podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Feel free to check out wisc.ai for more resources and schedule a demo with one of our product specialists to see if it's a fit for you.